Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus, who is risen and blessed forever. Amen. Let's open to uh, Romans chapter 15. Beginning in verse 8, you can find that in the Pew Bible, 949. Here we have really the conclusion of the whole book of Romans. This is kind of Paul's final and last convincing argument uh, to summarize all the work that we've done so far and kind of bring it together. And so that's what he's doing at the at Uh, chapter 15. So today we'll begin in verse 8 and I'll read it for us. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is our text for today. So look back with me in chapter 15, um, verse 4. Here Paul is encouraging the church to be united under one Lord. But look what he says. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. So that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this is what Paul is doing. The whole whole book of Romans, he's showing us how God's plan all along has been salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Sermon over? Not quite. But that's what Paul is up to. He's gathering these people together, right? Under one Lord, both Jew and Gentile. Uh, Two different people, different histories, bringing them together under one Lord. And his argument, especially towards his Jewish audience, is that you can see this in the scriptures all the way along. It's been there all along. Faith Faith in what God is doing, the salvation through Jesus Christ has been there the whole time. And so in this last section, after verse 8, he's going to show four different quotations from the Old Testament that point forward to Jesus. And he's going to use those texts to tell us about Jesus and how Jesus has been the center of the Old Testament all the way along. And so we're going to look at all four of these uh, texts and then think about what the Holy Spirit desires as an outcome for us as we believe these things. And so look with me in verse 8 again. Uh, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. If you went back to Romans chapter 4, you'd get this story 
where God gave a promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of all the earth. And Paul argues that that promise has been fulfilled in Jesus by faith. That as we believe in Jesus, we also become children of Abraham and we become heirs of the entire creation along with Jesus. So Christ became a servant to the Jewish people, the circumcised people, to show God is truthful. And it says in verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That God also desires to bring the Gentiles into this uh, holy family, this new humanity by faith. And so he goes into some quotations. So first he says, uh, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. Sing to your name. This is from Second Samuel chapter 22. It's also uh, quoted in Psalms, uh, Psalm 18. But it's a song of David. David is rejoicing that God has given him victory over the Philistines. And so it's an interesting context to pull in here because here David, the, the king that God had blessed, had had a conquering effort over the pagans, right? Over the Gentiles. And so his singing over the Gentiles, right, is proclaiming the name of God, proclaiming the victory even among those people that he had been in combat with. But here he's talking, Paul says this is actually about Jesus, and it's, it's useful for us to think about the difference between David and Jesus, because did Jesus come and conquer the Philistines? Did Jesus come and conquer the pagans with a sword? No, thanks be to God, he did not. How did he conquer the nations? How did he bring uh, victory? Who was Jesus' enemy? Jesus' enemy was sin and death and the power of darkness. It's the, the spiritual powers that have pushed people down, pushed humanity down these roads of violence and destruction the whole time. It's our true enemy. Jesus came to conquer Satan and his minions. Jesus came to conquer the forces of evil in your heart and in my heart. And he did this by the work of the cross. You know, when we say in the creed, we just spoke it just a few minutes ago, that Jesus descended into hell, right? Jesus, uh, after he was crucified, he was died and he was buried, he descended into hell. Have you ever wondered about that? Why do we say that? Some theologians have wondered about this, and they say, well, Jesus went down there to suffer some more, and that might be something we might think. He went down there to, to take on the suffering of hell for our sake, but that's not true. In fact, we get this clarification in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. It says this, that for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now, this passage is a little bit mysterious, granted, but this is where we get that statement in the creed that Jesus descended into hell. But we confess he descended into hell not to be punished, but rather to proclaim his victory over all realms even in the dominion of Satan, even in the dominion of death and darkness. There's no inch of creation 
that is not under Jesus' jurisdiction and control and power. He has conquered even there. And so you can kind of imagine, you know, the day of the crucifixion, all the forces of hell are sitting around celebrating, right? They broke out the champagne. Woohoo, we killed him. And then Jesus, boom, <laughs> appears right behind them, right? They drop their glasses. And Jesus proclaims his victory and praises the God who sent him to redeem the whole world right in front of them. You see, this is how Jesus is proclaiming his name among the Gentiles and singing his praises to God who gave him the victory over death and Satan by raising him from the dead after he was murdered by the powers of evil. Jesus reigns now, and that's reason to sing praises to him. Let's look in verse 10, this next quotation. It says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And here is a, is a quotation from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And this is really interesting because this is actually a quote from the end of Moses' life. So when Moses uh, was finished bringing the people out of Egypt, bringing them into the new promised land, he didn't get to go into the promised land. He had to give his authority to Joshua, and Joshua would take them the rest of the way. And so this quotation is from like kind of an epic poem that both Joshua and Moses recited together at that moment. So it was telling of all the wondrous works of God and telling about what he would continue to do with them. And so it's kind of a changing of the guard, you could say, that they together recite this poem, and there, you can see this authority transferring from Moses uh, to Joshua. But Joshua was coming in uh, to cleanse Canaan of all the people who had opposed God, all the Canaanites. That was his job, was to take possession of the land and to wage war against all of the people who were in the land who were being judged by God for their wicked deeds. But how does that correspond to Jesus? Jesus, again, is not coming to destroy the wicked. That's not what he did. He will also take that and cleanse the whole world uh, with the, the breath of his mouth, right? Strike the wicked with the breath, breath of his mouth, like it says in Isaiah. That will be Jesus' road, Jesus' path. But right now, how is Jesus conquering this world? It's not by bombs. It's not by missiles. It's by his blood. And it's by his mercy. It's by his word being sent out into all people. And so the call is for all people to join in in praising God for what he's doing. And now we see not Moses in the Old Testament uh, proclaiming this, but now this has been passed to Jesus, who is the true Lord over all creation. His authority is the one that's taken up. And so we join with all peoples praising him along with the Gentiles and the Jewish people. And that brings us to our next one. Verse 11, it says, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Now, it's interesting. Uh, this quotation is from Psalm 117. Uh, it calls everyone to praise, to join in with the Jewish people. Look what it says. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, right? So you outsiders, you people who don't know the, the ways of the Lord, you too should praise the Lord. That's what's being 
said in Psalm 117. But it's interesting, if you read uh, the Hebrew version of Psalm 117, and then if you read what Paul says, there's a little bit of a change. And it's in the second line where it says, and let all the peoples extol him. In the Jewish version of the text, it says, and let the nations extol him, you guys. And it's again like you outsiders. But here it says, all y'all do this. Now, it's a little confusing for English because we don't really have uh, a, a multiple plural, like it's called, you know, a, a third person plural. It says, we, know, we just say you. It's the same if it's one you or if it's a hundred yous, right? But here, Paul is saying all y'all, every nation, every people, not just the outsiders, but the implication here is also the insiders, So the Jewish nation takes its place among all nations as they are under the one Lord Jesus Christ, and they too add their voice. So in other words, there's no outsiders anymore. God has broken down those lines, and now when Jesus says, go to all nations, he's saying this also to the Jewish people, that all nations, including those original ones called by God and all the people who've never heard his name, They're all supposed to join in and praise God. And then finally, Isaiah, uh, this Isaiah quote from 11. We heard some of this already this morning. Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is that great uh, reading that we heard. I love it so much, you know, because it's this, picture of this divine king who will come and rule and actually bring peace to the world, like the lion's going to lay down with the lamb, like kids are going to stick their hands into cobra nests, and they're going to be okay. There's this picture of this actual peace that this world longs for and has been striving for and failing to achieve. Here, this king Depicted in, in Isaiah chapter 11, he's the one who's going to do this. And the, the text calls him the, the shoot of Jesse, right? Or the root of Jesse. And Jesse was David, King David's dad. Um, so the root of Jesse came to be this messianic term, this term of this coming king. Um, because Jesse, the, the line of David, it seems to have been cut down, Right? That all of the the Israelite story had had stopped when they were destroyed by Babylon. The temple was destroyed. Their their fields were razed to the ground. Uh, There had been disaster, but God promised that he would raise up one person from that stump who would come forward and and rule. And so this was an eager expectation that this was the Messiah. The root of Jesse would come forward and stand. And if we looked and we read um, in our Old Testament reading, it says in verse 10 of chapter 11 that in that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. So this, this root of Jesse will stand and will be a signal for the peoples. So that's the quote. But here's what we see. We know this to be Jesus, 
And I want to take you to two parts in the scripture that kind of point this out. The first is in the Gospel of John, and the second is in Romans. So the first is in the Gospel of John, where Jesus uh, is having a moment uh, before his crucifixion. He's in Jerusalem, and Greeks are coming to see him. So non-Jewish people have no real reason to know who he is. Greeks are coming and inquiring uh, about Jesus. And so they come to him, and they're wanting to ask him questions. And Jesus starts to talk to them, these outsiders. But this is what he says. It's a pretty significant moment in Jesus' life. He says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is saying, when I'm crucified, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I will be the signal that draws all people to myself. Just like it was foretold in Isaiah chapter 11. I will be that signal that brings not just the Jewish people but also all nations, all peoples will come and inquire and be drawn to the sign of the cross. Now look what it says with me all the way back in Romans chapter 1. Ready? All the way back to the very beginning of Romans. Look at what Paul says, how he begins his argument. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul grounds his entire authority for making this argument on the fact that God raised Jesus, the son of David, from the dead and raised him up. Now, if we go back over uh, to our text for today, in this quote, in verse 12, it says, The root of Jesse will come, the son of David. He who arises to rule the Gentiles. You can underline that word arises or star or circle it. Because this is the same word for resurrection. It's the same root. And so in the Old Testament in Isaiah, that arising to rule the Gentiles could be a simple, hey, the king rises up, right? He sits on the throne. That's the king. That's what it could be. But in the New Testament, what Paul is saying here is that was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. See, in the resurrection of Jesus, God declared Jesus, this is my son. This is the son of David. This is my king. And there is no other. 
And so all of these texts, Paul is kind of giving this tour de force, showing that in the Old Testament, Jesus has prophesied the whole time. And now he has come. And now all peoples are being united under his rule and reign. That the kingdom of God has come to this world in Jesus. It has begun in force in his resurrection. And then look at what the outcome should be for the people that Paul is writing to and also for us. In verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What does the Holy Spirit want for people in this world? You know, I know I've talked with many people who reject Christianity. I've had many conversations with people who reject Christianity. Uh, And I think the attitude for why people reject Christianity is something like this often. It's not that they're evil. Uh, It's not that they're just angry. But a lot of time people think, well, I'm just, I don't think it's a reasonable thing to believe something that might not be true. And so they think a higher way, a more sophisticated way, is just to hold it up at a bit of an arm's length and just say, yeah, maybe. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. I'm not sure. Maybe Jesus rose from the dead, maybe it didn't. And so they think that this is the voice of wisdom in their their minds, to be cautious and not put all their eggs in one basket. That seems reasonable. In their minds, it's unreasonable to say Jesus is God. It's not a reasonable conclusion to say God raised Jesus from the dead and therefore he's the the king of all things. He's the king of my, my body. He's the king of my money. He's the king of all creation. That's not a reasonable stance to take. It's more reasonable to be ignorant and to claim a little bit of ignorance and, and just be cautious. But here's, I think, what uh, the resurrection of Jesus does for us. The resurrection of Jesus, as well as all of the prophecies leading up to it, the thousands of years of Jewish history uh, bring before Christ, show us that there is no way that we can reasonably just deny Jesus and that be a reasonable way to be. In other words, humanity cannot plead ignorance anymore. We can't know. We don't know how God's going to save the world. We can't know. Who can know? Who can know what's going to happen in the future? No one can know, right? We're, We're just humans. We can't have that knowledge. The truth is we can absolutely know what will happen in the future Because we can absolutely know what God has established all along through history, through thousands of years of careful planning, and through the definitive resurrection of Jesus, his son, all the world can know that salvation has come through Jesus and him alone. It once was mysterious. It once was clouded. It once was opaque, but not anymore. Jesus has declared, or God has declared Jesus to be the king. And he's done this publicly so that anyone who's honest can find it. Anyone can inquire about this and see that it's true. It's not a secret anymore, friends. Uh, God has revealed his salvation to us and all people. And so now doubts have no place in us. And this is what the Holy Spirit wishes for us and for you today. The Holy Spirit does not want you to be filled with doubts. 
does not want you to be on the fence because there's no hope and there's no security on the fence. The Holy Spirit wants you to be filled with joy and peace in believing and to abound in hope because what God has done for you and for all people. The victory is sure and Jesus is risen and the Lord Jesus died for the sake of the whole world. And God wants everyone to be included in this holy family and in this holy salvation. And so all people can come and praise him. And so I think if the Holy Spirit were to do a work in my heart and in your heart today, it would be to cast out any doubt that we have and fill us with confidence and hope because what Jesus said is true. And when he comes back, it will be evident to all. I think the Holy Spirit would steal away our despair as we suffer in this life. Some of us can get pummeled by day after day of dark thoughts and sadness and sorrows and tragedy and financial pains and physical pains. And it can beat us up day after day. And so we can be led down a path of despair, a voice in our head saying, God's not really going to do anything and you have no reason to hope. But look what this is declaring to you. The Holy Spirit says you absolutely have hope because of what God has done publicly for all people. You should grasp it and you should rejoice in it because you have a sure and certain hope in the person of Jesus Christ and in the fact that God enthroned him in his resurrection. Romans 8, uh, chapter 11, uh, one of the best verses Uh, in all of Romans, in my humble opinion. But Romans 8, chapter 11 gives us this wonderful verse to think and meditate on. And you can turn over there if you'd like. I'll read it for us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is declaring that everything that God did to Jesus as he raised him from the dead, that same spirit dwells in you. And if it does, and through baptism, we can say absolutely. Then the same thing is going to happen to you. That after the days of of sorrow and difficulty and, and despair and temptations, the spirit will raise you from the dead. Do you have hope? Yes, you do. We have hope in Jesus and in the spirit that dwells in us. I don't know of a better place in scripture to point to than the song of Simeon to see what this looks like in someone's life. Uh, In the gospel, we see this man, uh, Simeon, who has been told by God that uh, he would get to see his salvation, to see the Messiah before he died. And uh, Mary and Joseph are at the temple for purification, and they bring the long-awaited Messiah, the root of Jesse, into the temple, and Simeon's there, and they lay him in Simeon's arms. Can you imagine holding Jesus in your arms after longing for this salvation all the time? And then Simeon sings his song. He sings this song of rejoicing before God because after all of his sorrows, After all of his doubts, after all the pains of this life, after all of it, he's holding the promise in his hands. 
He's holding salvation in his hands and he's saying to God, I can be dismissed in peace. I can die today and I would be in peace. I would be okay because I hold salvation in my hands and I've seen it with my eyes. Friend, you have the exact same thing by faith in Jesus. Jesus himself has come to you, come to the world, has been crucified for your sins and my sins, and has been raised from the dead. This has not been done in secret. Your own eyes can see this salvation here today with us so that you can abound in hope. What is the outcome of having hope? It's I am at peace. I have joy because the Lord God has revealed his salvation to me that is for all people and I'm included. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would continue to increase our confidence by your scriptures that we might abound in hope, uh, trusting in the salvation that you have brought through Jesus and giving thanks for his rule and reign in our lives, both now and forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus the King. Amen.